words ever get you in trouble? Do you ever say something and then wish you could take it back and put those words right back in your mouth? Well, if so, today's program is just for you. My name's John Redmond, and I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And today on Peace by Believing, we're going to be thinking about the importance of our words. Our words have great power. They have power to build up and to encourage and to really lift someone's spirits, but they also have the power and the potential to tear down and to destroy and to wound the spirit of another person. And so we want to be very careful with our words. The fact is, after our words leave our mouths, there's nothing that we can do to get those words back in. Once the words have been spoken, the damage is done. And so before we speak, we need to think and we need to ask ourselves, if I say what I want to say, if I say what's on my mind, am I going to do more harm than good? Am I going to end up crushing somebody's spirit and just really taking the the air out of their cell. And so the Bible has a great deal to say about our words. We read, for example, in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Proverbs, about choosing our words wisely, about the importance of restraining our words. And even sometimes we're told that we should just be quiet altogether and not say anything. In the New Testament, in the book of James, in the third chapter, we read some very similar instructions. In fact, the Bible says in James chapter 3 that with our mouths we speak blessings and we praise God, and with our same mouths we sometimes curse and hurt others. And so that should not happen. In fact, the Bible says these things ought not to be. You shouldn't go to church on Sunday and sing songs of worship and praise to God with your mouths and then after the service is over, go out to eat or get back home and then start mowing others down verbally. We shouldn't do that. Our mouths, our tongues, our words should edify and build up and encourage others and they should never cause pain to another person. Now, the sermon that we're going to be listening to today is a sermon that I preached in our church some time back. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open it to James chapter 3 and I begin this sermon, or at least I began it, by telling a joke. And I want to tell you before you even hear this joke. It's a long joke. Jokes shouldn't be this long, but it's funny at the end. So listen to it. I think it'll be a good way to start this sermon on the importance of our words. One of my favorite stories is about these three pastors who decided to go fishing together one day. And so they were out there on the lake and they'd been there for about two hours. And one of them said, you know, this is just really a nice diversion to be away from the church and the responsibilities. And I'm just glad I can be out with two fellow preachers out here doing something relaxing like this. And he said, you know, while we're out here relaxing, he said, I need to just confess something. He said, I've got a sin that I've been struggling with. Nobody would know it. I'm ashamed of it, but I've got, I feel like it's safe out here. They said, well, what is it? He said, well, sometimes the stress of the church and the responsibilities and the sermons and the demands, he said, it's just about more than I can take. And 
He said, I hate to even say this, but sometime when I get home from church on Sunday night, I go down in the basement. I've got some alcohol hidden away. And he said, sometime I just hit the bottle on Sunday nights. And he said, I feel bad about it. I've got to stop doing it. But I, I, would you all pray for me on that? And they said, well, yeah. And the second one spoke up and said, well, I'm glad you said that because there's something I need to get off my chest too. He said, what is it? He said, well, the stress at my church is similar to the stress you're having, all these sermons and the responsibilities. He said, when I get home sometime on Sunday afternoon, I just start gambling. I have the TV on and the ball games. and It's a diversion. It's an outlet. It gets my mind off of the responsibilities. I know it's wrong. I know I shouldn't do it. But would y'all pray for me as I have a gambling problem? He said, certainly. The first preacher then spoke to the third preacher. He said, well, look, We've told you our problems. I'm struggling with drinking. He's struggling with gambling. What about you? What's your sin? He said, well, to be honest with you, my sin is the sin of gossip, and I can't wait to get back to town <laughs> and tell all your members what y'all are doing and help my church to grow at your church's expenses. But you know, that story reminds me that our words are so very important. One study says that 60% of human conversation consists of gossip what we say about each other. Now, in the sermon this morning, I'm not going to be talking just about gossip, although that will be part of it. It's a broader sermon on the totality of our words and the importance of the words that we speak. So, if you'll open your Bibles, please, to the book of James, and in this book, we find some very practical insights and helps on our words. Now, James is to the New Testament what Proverbs is to the Old Testament. It is a practical book. James did not write his book so that we would know how to get saved. He doesn't give us the plan of salvation in his book. He wrote his book so that we would know how we should live after we've been saved. That's what this book is all about, how Christians are supposed to live. It is a very, very practical book. And he devotes almost an entire chapter of this five-chapter letter to the matter of our words, the tongue, and the importance of the things that we say. So let's just jump right in in James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. He said, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man or a mature man. In other words, he's saying, only a very mature Christian doesn't struggle regularly with his tongue and with his words, able also to bridle the whole body. Now, with that, James launches out and gives five different analogies for the human tongue, five analogies for the words that we speak. First of all, he says, your tongue is like a bit that goes in a horse's mouth. Look in verse number three. Indeed, he said, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Now, what is a bit? A bit is a small piece of steel that some riders put in the horse's mouth, and then the bit is connected to the reins, and the rider of the horse is sitting on the horse back, on the back of that horse, and the rider is holding the reins, and as he moves the reins, he controls the bit. So if he wants to go to the right, he does this. If he wants to go to the left, he moves the reins this way, and the bit moves in that direction. James said, your tongue is like that. It's a very small thing. In fact, a horse it's not uncommon for a racehorse 
to weigh well in excess of a thousand pounds, and yet this bit would only weigh a few ounces. In a similar way, James says, your tongue only weighs a few ounces, and yet with it, you can control the direction of your whole life. Just like with a bit, a rider can control which way the horse goes. With your tongue, you control, to a large extent, your life. He also says your tongue is like a rudder on a ship. Look in verse number four. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. And so a rudder is something that is underneath the ship and it controls the direction of the ship. It's a small part of the ship. In fact, I was reading last week about one particular ship that weighed in excess of 83,000 tons. On that particular ship, the rudder weighed 140 tons. Now, when we think about 140 tons, that's a lot of weight. But compared to over 83,000 tons, 140 ton is less than 2% of 1%. So it's a very small part of what the ship weighed. And yet, the rudder directs the ship. And James is saying in the same way that something very small, something that can't be seen, it's out of sight, and yet it directs a huge ship. Your tongue's like that. It's hidden. It can't be seen. It can be heard, though, and it directs your life, and it can affect a lot of other people's lives. And then he says your tongue is like a little fire. It's like a little fire in verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member. It is. It only weighs a few ounces and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And then he says, and it, it is set on fire by hell. And so many of the things that we say with our mouth and with our tongue, it was motivated by the devil himself. It was motivated by the spirit of of Satan and by the forces and powers of hell. And he says, your tongue is like a little fire. It starts small, just like sometimes a forest fire. Somebody will strike a match, and they throw the match down. They think the the fire of the match is gone, and yet there's still heat on the end of that match or a cigarette that someone has smoked, and they think that they've kind of smoked it out, and yet they throw it down, and there there was still some fire in that. And so out of something very small... A fire starts, and then that fire spreads, and then that fire spreads, and we certainly see regularly on the news in the western uh, western part of the United States, California particularly, how these wildfires just completely devastate thousands and sometimes hundreds of thousands of acres. And you trace it back, and you say, how did the fire start? Started with a little match. James is saying, that's what your tongue is like. You hear something about somebody else. You pass it along, they pass it along, they pass it along. Each time it's getting passed along, it's not quite as it was at the beginning. It may have not not even been true when it was first told. And yet, by the time it gets passed along, it's like a fire. And it has done great, great damage. And then he says, your tongue is like a wild animal like a wild animal. Look in verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. 
but no man can tame the tongue. And so we know that elephants have been tamed, lions have been tamed, tigers have been tamed, and yet James says, isn't it interesting that all these wild animals can be tamed, and yet no man in his own strength can tame his own tongue. It is untamable for a human to do that. It's, it's like a wild animal. And then he says, your tongue is like an unruly evil. Look again at verse 8. No man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And you think about all the different people who have been hurt by what someone else said or what a group of people said about that person and the word gets back to them and it can devastate a person. It can destroy a person's life. It can ruin a person's good name. We've probably all heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never what? Words will never hurt me. That's the biggest lie that's ever been told. Sometimes words hurt more than sticks or stones combined would hurt. It is, and James says, it is an unruly evil. The potential for good, certainly, that we have with our tongues, but also the potential for evil. Look in verse 9. He says, with it, that is, with our tongue, we bless our God and Father. And that's what we've been doing for the first half of this service, singing songs of praise and worship to God, honoring the Lord. It's what I'm doing now. I'm standing up here teaching from God's Word. It's what you did in your connection group earlier. It's what you've done in your conversation so far. You've been saying things that are edifying and things that would honor God and bless others. James said, with our tongue, we bless our God and Father. And that's a good thing, but watch this. And with it, we curse men. Isn't it interesting? The same tongue that sings the doxology and all these songs of praise to God is the same tongue that gossips and slanders and curses other people. And these other people, James says in verse 9, have been made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. And so he's using another analogy here of, of, of a spring of water. But out of that spring, you're not going to have fresh water and salt water. It's one or the other. But he says with the tongue, it's both. It's praising and blessing God, and yet it's tearing down others, speaking evil of others who have been made in the image of God. And so James is saying to us, you don't understand the significance of your words and the importance of your tongue. It's like a bit in a horse's mouth. It's like a rudder on a ship. It's like a little fire. It's like a wild animal that can't be tamed. And it's like an unruly evil that can do all manner of damage to people. Now, with that as our foundation from the Scripture today, I want to make some life applications about our words, the words that we speak. And we speak a lot of words. Studies are interesting. One study I read said that the average man speaks 15,000 words a day. The average woman speaks 30,000 words a day. Now, I didn't come up with a study. I just read it. I know some women have read that study, and they say, yes, because the men weren't listening, we had to repeat ourselves and say it all over again. Well, whatever the reason is, most of us are pretty good talkers, and we can say a lot, and some of us talk way too much. But let me just give you five, I think, very practical applications. In other words, you can take these things and apply them to your life right now, today, number one, 
don't say everything you think. Just because you think something, that doesn't mean that you have to say it. Sometimes it's best just to let that thought stay in your brain and not come out of your mouth. Let me give you a couple of scripture verses. In Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 19, the Bible says, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. Let's say that together. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. So the more we speak, the more we increase our odds of sinning and saying something we shouldn't say. In Proverbs chapter 17, in verse 28, the Bible says, even a fool is thought wise if he controls his lips, if he controls his tongue, if he holds his peace, and if he keeps quiet. So, sometimes if we'll just stay quiet, we'll look smarter than we really are. And people will think we're, you know, pretty sharp because we didn't say anything. Whereas if we start talking, more than likely we're going to get ourselves in trouble. Back in 2011, when I had to have surgery on my vocal cords, there were several weeks before and and sometime after the surgery that I could not talk at all. Complete vocal rest. After the surgery was done, my doctor said to me, now John, for the next week, 10 days in there somewhere, you can't say a word. At the end of that time, I want you to come back. We'll have a follow-up exam. I'll put my camera down your uh, throat and look at your vocal cords. If they seem to be healing well, then we'll talk about how much you can talk at that point. So I went back, and thankfully everything was healing up well. And my doctor said, okay, John, here's the deal. For the next week, you can talk, but you can only talk five minutes an hour. Five minutes an hour. You have to rest your voice for 55 minutes, and you can talk for five minutes. I've got to be honest with you. It was harder to do that than it was not to talk at all. Because if you can't talk at all, you just can't talk. But if you can talk five minutes an hour, you're kind of picking your spots. I mean, you want to make your words count. And so sometime I would be in a conversation or a situation, and somebody would say something, and I said, I've got to speak on that. But as the time went by, I I was beginning to learn, and I did learn, that if you only have five minutes an hour to speak, you have to consistently be asking yourself, is this conversation worth my five minutes? Is this topic that is being discussed, whatever it is, politics or another person or whatever it might, is it worth wasting five minutes, the only five minutes I get in this hour on that? And so a lot of times I would just have to pass and stay quiet. Now, thankfully, we can all talk more than five minutes an hour, and yet that's not a bad thing to run through your mind. When you hear something come up, just to say, is it worth using the vocal strength that I have on this particular topic. My doctor said to me, he said, John, your vocal cords are like a bottle of water. And he said, every day when you wake up, you have X amount of water in your vocal cords. And you can use it all at one time or you can space it out during the day. This is not just for me, it's for everybody. And he said, so what you've got to learn to do is when to speak and when to be quiet. But nonetheless, it's good for all of us. So we don't want to say everything we think. About three or four weeks ago, we started a radio program on Sunday mornings. We're really excited about that. It's on at 8 o'clock on 100.7. And so what we've had to do, Brent Shore and I, Brent's one of our guys here at the church who works with our media department, we've had to sit down during the week and edit my sermons so that they'll fit the format that the radio station wants. And they said to us, we have a 25-minute program, and about three of those minutes is spent thanking everybody for listening and then encourage have a little wrap up at the end so the sermon itself can only be 22 minutes 
Well, the other day we sat down and he said, John, we've got our work cut out for us today. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, today we have to take a 45-minute sermon and get it down to 22 minutes. And so we did that. We cut out 23, we cut out more of my sermon than we kept in. 23 minutes came out and 22 minutes stayed in. And a little later that week, I was saying to my dad, I telling him that story, did edited a sermon and took more out than we kept in. He said, John, just think how happy the people would have been had you edited the sermon before you preached it if you took out more than half of it. And so we just have to not say everything that we think. Well, that's so true. We can't say everything we think, and we can't say everything that we want to say. In fact, even on today's program, we're going to have to cut the sermon off right there because I've said enough. I've talked enough on this sermon, and you're probably out there listening thinking, amen to that. We've heard him. <laughs> We've heard you enough. It's a good time to stop. So we're just going to cut it off right there today, and we'll pick up there next week. But I want us just to think here just for a moment at the very end before the program ends about our words and about the importance of our words and about using our words to help others and to encourage others and to build others up. You know, I've had experiences in my life, just like you have in yours, where the words of other people have encouraged me. And I've also had times when the words of other people have have really wounded me and have, have hurt me. I remember one time I spoke at something here in our city, and when the event was over, I, I was going back to my vehicle in the parking lot, getting ready to come back to the church. And this man followed me out to my truck, and he said, uh, young man, I just wanted to say something to you. And I said, yes, sir. And I introduced myself to him, and he told me his name. He said, I just wanted to say to you that you remind me of a certain preacher. Well, when he said that, I took it as a compliment because I, I like the preacher that he mentioned. I said, well, I just want to thank you. That, that means a great deal to me. And then he said, then as soon as he had said that I reminded him of that preacher, he started telling me everything he didn't like about that preacher. And I thought, now, wait a second, this is kind of a backhanded compliment. Uh, I think I thought this was a compliment, but I think actually he was uh, putting me down just a little bit. And it really devastated me. Then this man started talking about his church. He does, He's not a member of our church. He went to some other church, and he started telling me all the things that were wrong at his church and what the pastor was doing wrong and what the deacons were doing wrong and everybody was doing. I mean, he's just complaining and complaining. And the thought ran through my mind, hey, well, if he's not happy at his church, invite him to First Baptist. And then I thought, no, don't do that. He might come. And if he comes to First Baptist, then he'll make it negative, and we don't need that type of toxic uh, spirit in our church. And so I just kind of patted him on the back and went on a out my way and came back to church. But there's an example of someone using his words. I thought at first he was paying me a compliment. Really, he was just kind of setting me up to complain and to criticize others. And so that's not really a, a good use of our words. I had another experience recently where I spoke at a funeral here in Pasadena. And when the funeral was over with, the funeral director said to me, she's a sweet lady. She said, John, could I just say something to you? I said, sure, say anything you want to. She said, I, I just feel led to say to you that in my heart of hearts, I think God is pleased with you. She said, I think God is pleased with you. And this lady loves the Lord, and she's very sincere, and she's so kind, and she, she said that to me. And it just meant so much to me. And I said to her, I said, well, I hope he's pleased with me. I, I feel like on some days he's probably more pleased than he is on other days. I don't think I please him every day maybe. But it was just so uplifting and so encouraging and so kind, just her taking a few minutes just to say that to me. And so as we wrap up today's program, I want to give you an assignment. And here it is. 
This week, preferably even today, but for sure in the next seven days, I am challenging you to say something kind, edifying, encouraging, and that would build up another person. Now, it has to be genuine. It has to be real. You can't just make something up. But I'm at pray and say, God, show me who could I encourage today or for sure this week. And then you go to that person or you call that person and you just say something that would build them up. If you do that, God will be pleased and you will be using your words in the right way. I want to thank you for listening to Peace by Believing today. I hope you have a great week and I hope you'll be with us again next time. Peace by Believing is an extension of the ministry of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. If you would like more information on how you can have peace with God, go to our website, peacebybelieving.org, and click on the Spiritual Growth tab. If you've received God's peace today by trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at peacebybelieving.org. Thank you for listening today, and we pray that you have a blessed week.